0: All right, everybody, we are live. Thank you so much, everybody. If you were here hanging out, I can hear my dog barking right now. I don't know what exactly is going on, but anyways, uh, today I'm very, very much so looking forward to this conversation. Me and uh, my guest today had kind of came across each other over the, the uh, great Twitterverse here, and um, he's into a lot of the same stuff that I am. So uh, before we start rock and roll, and make sure you like, subscribe and uh you know give a thumbs up do whatever you can help support the show means a lot helps boost me in the algorithm you know all that good and happy stuff um you know check out all the links below for where you can find me and the show sponsors and as well as check out my guests so uh, without further ado let's go what is up everybody my name is kyle Matovic. i am the host of the in liberty and health podcast where we talk all things liberty health and wellness and beyond my hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty and physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy.
1: Man, I'm doing as good as anyone can do getting buried by his 13-year-old son on plague day.
0: <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because I got to go see Metallica, so... If that's a problem,
1: kiss
0: my ass. Oh, okay. <laughs> all, right. <laughs> all right, everybody, one more time. Welcome to In Liberty and Health. And today I have Mr. Brad Pierce. Hopefully I said that correctly with me today. Yes, uh, how you correct. doing, man? Good. I'm good. doing well. How are you all? Fantastic. And uh, as I said in the intro, I'm uh, really looking forward to this conversation. So uh, for the listeners out there, give me a quick introduction for yourself and uh, anything that the uh, guest should know about you.
1: Um, okay. Well, as I said, my name is Brad Pierce. I'm kind of, I guess, just a person, if you will. Um, anyway, I, uh, have kind of just always been interested in various things about politics and the government and international relations in part because I'm someone that, um, never really existed well in the systems that they want us to live within, you know, in public school. And I don't do so well at, uh, normal, like sort of jobs people would work and other stuff like that. I'm, I'm not really a libertarian anymore as such, but I very much have the kind of personality type, you know, of, uh, not, um, so much going along with things like that. So I, um, <clears throat> basically I've been writing my Substack since February of 2022 after, um, my wife and everyone else had been trying to get me to write seriously for a very long time. Um, I wish I would have started that sooner. But, uh, you know, the way it's set up is a lot easier than trying to like start a WordPress or something and getting, you know, trying to monetize it or whatever. So basically, after the COVID insanity drove me completely crazy, you know, living in a world of that kind of cognitive dissonance and constant tyranny and whatnot, I kind of started um, healing myself by just reading the classics, etc, an extraordinary amount and trying to understand human affairs and why the world works in the uh, insane and frustrating way that it does. And then, yeah, ultimately started writing after, you know, about a year of just, I mean, I always read a lot, but after reading a truly insane amount, like usually several hours every day for a long time, I started writing mostly about, you know, kind of the lessons we can learn from the classic sources and stuff like that about the world that we live in. I write especially about ways that the systems that they use to manage society are breaking down and, um, you know, about like uh, just various ways the government is lying to us and the narratives they use. I actually have a degree in literature so what I know about a lot really is how narratives function and and also the background in literary criticism kind of separates me from everyone else that writes about foreign policy and politics and stuff like that. So that's really is, is kind of my specialty is the narratives that they try to sell us, which, you know, basically the world we live in is a massive scam. Um, yeah, so I I'd write about whatever I find interesting. Yeah,
0: man. I got you. Well, that's really, really interesting the way that you put that. And uh, this is something that I talk about quite frequently as well is um, you have like a prevailing narrative and then a counter narrative. And really like the counter narrative, I want to say maybe even like 10 years ago really didn't matter that much because alt media is nowhere near the beast that it is today. But now the problem is, and I'm sure you encounter this a lot, especially when you talk about foreign policy, is that you're going to have the you know mainstream government line from your think tanks and then from the mainstream news and then obviously the government And then the alt media line may just sometimes be a complete 180 of that, but that doesn't make them right either. And that's not to say that the truth is always in the middle, but sometimes you have to look kind of between these two extremes to find where the truth may be. And it may be a little bit closer to this side, or it may be a little bit closer to this side. But whenever it comes to discussing things that we discuss, you really have to do your own digging, do your own sourcing and all that kind of stuff to really find the truth. And you know, like I said, as somebody like yourself who does a lot of writing, um, I'm sure that that could be a struggle.
1: Well, and, you know, one thing about that is that sometimes like I have a- people ask me, I don't know, see if they want to get, you know, to knowing about politics, like how they should go about, you know, finding like good sources and stuff like that. For one thing, I'm often like, no, like find anything else to do with your time. You're going to make yourself miserable. <laughs>
0: but, um, <laughs> That's a good prescription, though. No?
1: <laughs> yeah, a lot of it, in my case, a lot of it is just... Um, kind of instinct and experience and also a willingness to kind of say my certainty about sources, you know? So a lot of the time, you know, I I use pretty careful language, which, um, I don't really need to get into right now, but you know, Americans are used to that from like watching true crime and stuff like that. Like there's certain ways you talk about things in America. Um, so actually, no, this is a really good example. So for, uh, the, the president of Nigeria, um, whose name is, oh, I'm actually blanking on it right now. But anyway, the new president of Nigeria in the early 90s had some, was a student in the United States and he had assets seized in Chicago that were allegedly associated with heroin trafficking, right? But he he made a deal with them where he didn't acknowledge any guilt but, you know, the assets were taken. So the assets were found guilty. He wasn't, which, you know, as an American, you understand me. And I could not get Nigerians to get what I was talking about because like, they have a different legal system. So you'd be like, no, he's a, he's a convicted drug trafficker. And I was like, he is not a convicted drug trafficker. He very specifically is not a convicted drug trafficker. Like, oh, well, the fact that he gave up the property shows that he was guilty. I was like, no, the agreement by which he gave up the property specifically said he acknowledged no guilt. They being, like, oh, mm-hmm. do you think that it walked them himself? I'm, I'm just telling you, because they kept acting like the U.S is going to like intervene to not let a drug trafficker run their country. And it's like, firstly, he's completely compromised by the US government. So that's 100% who they want there. Let's just get that out of the way. But secondly no, the U.S. government is going to tell you he's not been convicted of any crime here. And, you know, every American understands that. So you just end up using a lot of language like that. And it can really upset people sometimes when they're like, I don't know, they want you to take a more solid position. And it's like, look, I can only like analyze and put together the sources that I see. Like, I'm not there on the ground. I, you know, I'm making my best judgment. And I'm telling you like this story seems plausible, but I have this concern, you know, and, so that is a lot of what I do. I, I mean, I had a recent situation where a journalist, she ended up being really gracious about it, but I had used her reporting on Serbia. And she had said like that people in the crowd at this rally were saying that they had forced government employees to go to the rally and you know that they were targeting people's welfare if they weren't going to go support the president. And I had said, I was like, you know, I'm uncomfortable with aspects of this reporting because I believe her that this is what the crowd was saying. But, you know, rumors with crowds can be can be like this. You know, so like I, I don't think she's lying. I think she's not just being careful enough about what she's saying. And she ended up in her next piece saying that she had felt uncomfortable reporting that and that I perfectly described what was wrong with it. So, yeah, I, she was really gracious about it. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's kind of a skill set. To look at all of the stuff that people say the way rumors go through crowds the way the media tries to get your reception but a lot of the times it really does just come down to a judgment call of like does does this make sense? Could a person feasibly do this and, you know, make things work this way if that was what they were doing? And to an extent, do they have a reason to do this? You know, people often behave irrationally. Like the the why, like the motive of committing a crime, or like the why you would do it, is actually less important. You know, than the means and opportunity. Usually, mm-hmm. but it's it's all a skill, I guess.
0: Yeah, shout out to a force, mommy. Uh, I'm no doing your own research is wrong. She's absolutely. <laughs>
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. um,
0: kind of to your point earlier I put out a tweet today and I, I can't remember if you liked it or not but I said uh the cocaine at the White House deal is another quote unquote mask off moment kind of like Epstein was of course they don't want to let everyone know that there's a caste system in our country it's blue collar average guys and the lower class and and the, and then the elites bankers and think tankers and another and really that kind of goes to your point of like how some people may not understand our legal system where like you know w- there is essentially a caste system the reason why they didn't want to find the cocaine or you know, say who had the cocaine in the white house is because, well, then they'd have to admit that, you know, them throwing people like you and I in the slammer for cocaine for 23 years is wrong. But, you know, instead they'll just say, ah, now we can't figure it out. But, you know, once again, the, the capital of the whole United States, if they want to find that stuff. They'd find it. They'd find it. Yeah. Cool
1: it so too. the shit libs that believe that stuff are completely insufferable. <laughs> um, you know, Glenn Greenwald posted something about this today. And of course he has like the worst, like, you know, mainstream liberal trolls on the internet. And he was just saying, like, obviously, they could find it if they want to. And was just saying something similar to you. And, you know, there are all these people going on and on about, oh, well, why don't you believe law enforcement? Like, uh, maybe it just wasn't an important thing to look at. Well, you know, Donald Trump did this, like all this stuff. And it's like, what is wrong with you people? Like, you know, I'm going to tell you right now, if I touch a plastic bag with clean hands and put it under light, I can see my fingerprint with my bare eyes. But, you know, what was really funny in this regard is. Is when Britney Griner was arrested in Russia, they kept saying, like, oh, well, the Russian legal system's so unfair. 99% of people are convicted in federal court. And it's like, okay, firstly, no one's denying she did it, which including her, which is illegal. What she did is illegal in the United States, too. I'm not saying it should be, but like if you get caught entering the country carrying those vape cartridges, you'll at least deal with something. And then beyond which That's like half a percent higher than our own conviction rate for federal crimes. And I was like, oh, that's because they only take them to to trial if they know they're going to win. And it's like, do you you understand what you're saying? Like, how is that different? The Russians are like, no, it's just because they do a really good job of making sure they're sure or else they don't press charges. And I was like, yeah. So I'm pretty sure the Russian prosecutors also only press charges when they think they're going to win. Like, how do you think this is different? (laughs)
0: Right. Yeah. It's uh, it's so insane. So um, I guess what kind of got you interested in looking into a geopolitical stuff? Because I know you've read a lot about that. And um, I also read your uh, sub stack, which was quite hefty. And I agreed with a lot of it.
1: Yeah, that one was particularly long, but there's no good way to make the positions of eight men on yeah. five countries short. You know, um, anyway, so. I I actually have a pretty good story about this. So I was in fourth grade during the bombing of Kosovo in 99. And, you know, they, not to the extent we have it now, but they tried to have this mania about how evil Slobodan Milosevic was. And I had not really, I had vaguely heard of Yugoslavia before. Um, And they start bombing it and everyone's acting like this is normal. I remember kids like throwing, like, you know, like a racers across the classroom, like pretending they're like bombing a country. And I was the only person that didn't think this was normal. So this was the first enormous cognitive dissonance moment of my life I was I like, you can't just bomb people halfway across the world and act like this is a normal way to behave. And right. then you're doing this for peace and then it makes you the good guys. And like, no one else really saw my point. I mean, my dad's like usually anti-war, but he's like a mainstream Democrat. So, you know, he bought more or less Clinton's rhetoric about it and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then I was in eighth grade when 9-11 happened and all of these people were like, Oh, why would anyone do this to us? Like, we're the good guys. You know, what have we ever done to anyone? And I was like, do you, am I the only one that remembers when we were bombing that country that did nothing to us just three years ago? Like, has, has it occurred? You to probably, that, You probably oh, were the people? only person. Yeah, no, I was the only person and all these adults thought I was like, I don't know, a psychopath or something for thinking there was any sort of parody here. So, um, yeah, I mean, from there, and then I was really against the Iraq war for similar reasons. So it's really something that I've, I've always been interested in. I got really into Ron Paul. I was 18 during his 2008 campaign. So yeah, it's, it's something that I've pretty much always been interested in though for a time, um, the COVID bullshit consumed my life too much to worry so much about other countries, but you know.
0: Yeah, that's understandable. Um, it it seems like there are some actually quite a sizable chunk of libertarians, and people who no longer consider themselves themselves libertarians who kind of moved on from specifically focusing on foreign policy um, at the behest of the COVID regime. And it's completely understandable. Um, I live in Pennsylvania.
1: I can't remember exactly where you live, Um, but uh, it it was good. Oh, so I live in Washington, but I live right on the border of Idaho. So I was able to like boycott Uh, basically everything because Idaho didn't have a state had very few statewide rules, but I live near a university town. Um, mm-hmm. You know, U of I where the murders were last year um, mm-hmm. is right by me. And then they also have Christ church, which is pretty notorious. There was just a case there where they won a lawsuit against the city. Anyway. So that city went full retard and had, um, you know, mask mandates forever. So I basically the whole time just avoided going absolutely anywhere that required a mask for after a while, I started feeling bad. It's like, I should have been going into mask requirement places and actually fighting it instead of just boycotting yeah, yeah. everywhere that had them. Um, but by then I wasn't, I was, it was like months into just avoiding everywhere that required masks and, and couldn't do it. So I was able to live as I do most of my shopping there anyway, it's cheaper. So as long as I went to Idaho, I was able to mostly, um, live somewhat normally. I started buying my cigarettes on the Indian reservation where you could still mm. smoke inside, like at a bar where you could still smoke inside and drink. And it was normal. God, that's so, was that's so
0: like 1990s. Yeah, <laughs> no,
1: it was, it was awesome. So yeah, I spent a bunch of time up like, making friends with the Indians and stuff like mm. that. Um, So I was, I was very fortunate. I cannot even imagine how crazy I would have gone in Seattle or somewhere where you didn't have an easy safety valve. And even so it drove me crazy just cause you know, you know how it was like, so many people that you knew and previously respected became so incredibly stupid in just unbelievable ways. They had like their hypocrisy was vast. You couldn't get them to understand the most basic logic. So yeah, yeah. I, I really lost it for a while, but I mean, at the same time, our society was being destroyed and all of our freedoms were being taken and people were not reacting properly. So
0: Yeah, it was a, a hell of a time. The story I yeah. always tell and I'll try to keep it brief because I'm sure my listeners are all well aware of it, but yeah, uh, I remember my wife coming home with a letter saying that, like, if you were caught driving to work, you hand the police this slip and tell them that you're on your way to your job. I'm like, what kind of dystopian nightmare are we in? And then they try to say stuff like that didn't
1: happen now. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, not only that, but like, oh, it wasn't that big of a deal. Like, look, yeah, maybe we got this wrong. Like,
1: no, you
0: need to be on
1: papers. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's crazy. It's
0: ridiculous. Um, and I almost feel the same way about a lot of like right wingers and the way they feel about being anti-war now. Which like, I'm grateful in one respect, but at the same time, I also recognize that if Trump came out tomorrow as like a full-blown neocon, that all his supporters would fall in line with him. It's not a matter of them having like a principal change of heart. It's just because their chosen guy is towing a anti-war line. Even though I think anybody who knows anything about foreign policy, especially in respect to Trump's, he wasn't any kind of dove. But you know, he didn't get us in any meaningful new conflicts, but there were still plenty of things that went under the radar that just nobody caught. And in my mind, it was almost like a poison pill to the anti-war movement because it's like, okay, well, if Trump can kill more people via drone strikes um, than Obama did in four years, than in uh, uh, Obama's eight years, if uh, he can commit a coup in Venezuela and continue to build up around NATO or around um, Russia and China, and that's still considered anti-war, then I don't know what anti-war is.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, it was very frustrating. Like, uh, and you know, it's all kind of a matter of priorities. And of course it's a lot of what my article is about. And I mean, he's totally crazy on Mexico. He's a super Ron Hawk. He, um, you know, with, with China, it's, he kind of sees it as a game, which as I said is in a way less scary because his mannerisms about it doesn't is like kind of not in a way not intended to terrify you, or maybe it is, but I just don't take it seriously, <laughs> but there's at least like a degree of mutual respect between him and, you know, leaders that he's a rival with that makes you feel like it's not going to end so badly. But yeah, he's, I mean, he's just drastically irresponsible. So like my favorite example of how irresponsible he was is that he, um, he wanted to sell like stinger missiles to a bunch of people. Cause we like happened to have a lot of them. And so like, The U.S. is most foreign policy things the U.S. does rely on our overwhelming air superiority. And there's nothing that damages that against ground-based guerrilla type forces more than Stinger missiles. (laughs) So like you start proliferating those and it only is a danger to ourselves. They're not even that expensive or like valuable or whatever. And it's like a miracle that no one's ever shot down like a commercial jetliner with one, you know, uh, like a terrorist or whatever. And they say like, oh, there's such good you know, security around airports. And it's like, well here there is not in like kyrgyzstan or whatever you know like you're not thinking about the places are being proliferated to so he wanted to do that and it's like that could only come back to bite or i guess you would say sting us in the ass you know and he was still <laughs> just doing it like so incredibly irresponsibly because he thought it was good business basically and then yeah it, i mean well, you're going he are so tired of winning of yeah he he is Mildly better than most of the rest of the field, mostly just because he actually wants the Ukraine war to end instead of using it to bleed Russia. But.
0: Right. Well, so, like, see, that's my thing is that Trump has built a very, very good brand and he. He's good in that respect, whereas like I don't think most other politicians have really mastered designing their own brand like he has. Now, the frustrating thing about when you talk to people about Trump and Ukraine is that Trump will play both sides of every single issue every time. So that way he can always come out on top. And he's doing this now with the Ukraine war stuff where he says, I'll end it in a day. I'll, I'll be very, very tough on Putin. And then if he doesn't want to listen, we'll send Ukraine stuff like you've never seen before. So now it's like, okay, well, now you want to please the neocons and the hawks, but you also want to please all the doves by saying, look, I'll end this war, but if it doesn't go my way, then I'm just going to give Ukraine all this money. And then lest we not forget that he also sent the javelins into Ukraine, which was, you know, kind of a red line so hot that uh, Putin or that Obama wouldn't do it because he was scared that it would escalate um, tensions over there. So, like I said, he just plays every side of every issue, but it is sad that he's literally, like, the best candidate that's polling seriously.
1: Yeah, well, and he wants to proliferate um, the uh, – just increase military equipment everywhere because he feels like it's good business. And it's like, you know, yeah. that, that does not stop conflicts in the way you seem to think it is. Like, there's – it's true that when you're – Okay. So when they talk about peace through strength, the thing is that's not just having a bunch of various equipment or like a high number of troops. That's being like steady and, you know, like, uh, you know, like it's being strong in a more maybe like holistic sense you would use of being like being clear and being reasonable and not being reactive and stuff like that. It's not just responding to everything by sending more weapons everywhere. You know, uh, heaven forbid they work towards any type of disarmament and living in a world where we need, you know, smaller militaries.
0: Yeah, I mean, for some reason, the idea that we could just have, you know, trade all over the world is like this silly idea. So um, one other thing that I appreciate about you in particular is that like me and the guys from the Libertarian Institute and antiwar.com are like scrounging for scraps to find other people who like understand the situation with China and understand how important it is to be against war with China. Because like people... For some reason, everybody buys all the propaganda in the world about China, but everybody can discern, you know, propaganda about terrorists and about Russia. But like you could say they have like Godzilla coming out of like a pool in China, and people will be like, Really? And like, you know, there's the whole Uyghur stuff, which has been widely debunked. Um, the idea that China is, um, you know, just could be some global power is just it's so silly when you read a book about anything about China. Yeah, well,
1: you know, one person that is good on this, well, on I guess on criticizing right wing people for this is Caitlin Johnstone, who's always talking yes. about how the one you know, the ones you get that aren't bad on Russia are, you know are really bad on China. I will say the strategic move, if you're going to be a global chessboard imperialist was absolutely to draw close to Russia to, as a counter against China. That was 100% <laughs> the Kissinger type move that they messed yeah. up and it was 100% viable to, you know, start have, having started doing that 10 years ago or whatever. And I, I was really in favor of, um, know being closer to russia but regarding taiwan so i talked about this on my own podcast with my wife last night that hasn't been published yet uh one of her questions was just about the nature of you know what's going on with taiwan and the fact is like taiwan is basically indefensible like especially because of china's you know advanced anti-ship missiles and stuff like that and i mean like the u.s cannot defend it from china if they choose to invade like our navy is not able to do that because of china's missile systems being able to reach the island and, you know, sure. I mean, them in submarines. And, you know, the other thing is, like, our country likes to act tough. But, like, look at how they were on, like, 9-11. Like, carriers have, like, 5,000 people on them. If one of those goes down, our country is going to just lose their minds in a way you can't even imagine. And-
0: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands. And are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.
1: And, you know, China has like a thousand of those missiles or more that can reach Taiwan. So the thing is, the only way we can defend Taiwan and keep it independent from China is by having a good relationship with China. Like that's the only path forward that protects Taiwan's independence. And so Ron DeSantis, one of his things for countering China was like removing their permanent normal trading status. And it's like, no, that that makes that, how does that stop them from invading? Like that's one of the things we have over them to keep the peace going. You're just going to make it so that they have absolutely no reason to not do it. How do you not see this? It's. I Yet, mean, it's really the only way to defend Taiwan is good relations.
0: Well, and well, the other thing is that the the, the shore of Taiwan, like basically the side that faces China is a very, very rough terrain. Is in like, if they want to sail boats up there, they're going to have a hell of a time. So, in kind of like you said, Taiwan's so far away that we would help, like you said, have to have good relations. And then we'd have to send a shitload of stuff there thousands and thousands of miles away. So, um, and the one thing I always bring up, but I belabor this point because just nobody ever seems to get it. China is so dependent on imports that it would make no sense for them to nationalize everything that they would be seizing Taiwan for. And like the only reason why this conflict is such a big deal is because America keeps poking China in the eye about it saying, Hey, you know, you better not make a move on Taiwan or else we'll do something. It used to be strategic ambiguity where we say, China, don't mess around. Taiwan, you pipe down, you don't know what we'll do. But now, you know, obviously, especially with Biden and, this is where right wingers get everything wrong. Um, Biden's been so hawkish on China because he's done everything he can, you know, um, to you know beef up the military buildup around there. And I'm pretty sure even um, I was watching the Tucker Carlson uh, special with all the candidates. Yeah. Um, I can't remember who it was. I want to say it was Asa Hutchinson or Nikki Haley that said we should be sending more. Troops
1: to the uh, Philippines. It was Asa Hutchinson. who like was, it was okay, we yeah. need them for to counter China. I was like, how do you plan on countering China in the South China Sea with ground troops? Like, think <laughs> about what you're saying. You know, you know what drives me the most crazy about this. It's like, oh, well, we need Taiwan independent because you know we need to be able to get those microchips or whatever they call them. Yeah. Um, And it's like, okay, but the thing is, China would still sell them to us. You would embargo buying those and then blame China on our lack of supply. So if China takes over Taiwan, they'll still sell them to us. You're just going to refuse to buy them and then act as if you have no control over your choice to not buy them. It's just like all of the COVID policies. Like, no, I didn't lock down because I wanted to. We locked down you know, because of these case numbers. Like Those case numbers did not force you to do shit. You chose to do that. This is the policy decision you made
0: they said a COVID or it's not the governor's making the decision. It's COVID, right? That was the the standard Democrat procedure. Yeah,
1: exactly. (laughs) So it's the same thing. Like, and I mean, another thing is like, uh, if Taiwan is like blockaded because of a war, we're not getting those chips anyway, you know, by the way. But seriously, China, it's never the other countries that refuse to sell us this stuff. Like what sort of crazy country wouldn't want to sell us oil if we would just buy it and act like reasonable people. Like this is not a real problem.
0: Yeah, I, I think what was emblematic of the entire Republican establishment foreign policy was actually Tim Scott's statement of uh, the axis of evil being Iran, China, and I think he said North Korea as well. because those uh, are It was
1: Iran, Russia, and China.
0: Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, Iran, Russia, and China. Um, now, most of the Republicans are at least somewhat decent on Russia, but the rest of them, you can forget it when it comes to iran and china um you know especially desantis desantis is a uber hawk on iran i mean that dude would go to war with iran tomorrow if it was
1: yeah the one spot of light on that because my wife also asked me in our podcast if anyone might have their rating improved is that ramaswami doesn't has not said anything about iran meaningful and he yes. doesn't seem to have any really strong feelings about israel that would make him be totally crazy so it is possible that when he does say and he doesn't have that kind of thinking that would actually cause him to have a deranged obsession with iran like the rest of them do right so it is possible when he talks about this he will turn out to be massively better at least moderately better on iran than the rest of them and that's Mm -hmm. the only one that possibly is not crazy about iran and you know what like Basically, what is going on with Iran and Israel is just the hardliners in both countries are playing off of each other for domestic political purposes. And Iran does not nearly the type of threat to anyone that they claim it is. You would just normalize everything tomorrow and it would be 100 percent OK. So that's just that's a made up issue. Like Russia and China are actually major powers. You have to counter the Iran thing. You could just just be done with and it would just be fine.
0: Yeah, it's so funny to hear people talk about Iran because I think they have, I think it's like 0.3% of the GDP of the U.S. And we've been, they've been telling us for the last 30 years that they're, you know, what is it, months if not weeks away from having a nuke. Yeah, and the, well, the
1: Netanyahu yeah. image is over a decade old now of him mm. drawing the red line on the bomb filling up, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's from 2012.
0: Jesus, yeah, that's yeah. insane um but, but yeah it's so funny because like iran does not pose any kind of major threat and i think the major reason why all the hawks and all the republicans and oh, i shouldn't say just republicans but all the hawks really want to go after iran is just to appease israel but once again we're not allowed to talk about israel's nuclear program but you know all day every day we could talk about iran's quote-unquote nuclear program which now i think even the pentagon came out and said like yeah they don't have a nuke and like they They have have a civilian nuclear program. And the only reason why they enrich uranium is because we sit there, you know, force sanctions on them and then completely screw that country up. So then they say, all right, well, then we'll enrich a little bit more. But, you know, after like 20 years of doing this. You know, they have to get to like, I think it's 93% to have nuclear capabilities. They're 60% after like 20 years, 20 to 30 years. Well,
1: I mean, and I mean, there's some medical reason you need uranium for too or whatever. um, Right. is one of the things they use it for. But like, that's the other frustrating thing is that, you know, Trump left the nuclear deal for absolutely no reason, which was the main leverage they had over Iran was the sanctions relief that came with that deal. Everyone (laughs) knew, that everyone knew they were complying with it. They kept saying that they were giving all of this money to Iran. It's like, no, that's money that you seized from them like 30 years ago that belongs to, or, you know, longer ago or whatever, that belongs to that country. It's like their reserves that were held here. So you're not giving them anything. You're returning money that you stole. And I'm sure part of the opposition is just that banks are lending out that money and stuff like that. You know, it's like capital they're sitting on that they don't want to have to give back. Yeah. and so, yeah, they, they, it's so frustrating because they're like, this is the reason you have no leverage on them to get them to stop, you know, cooperating with Russia. If the deal was still in place, they would have an incentive to limit it. Cause you would have a way to, you know, tell them that there would actually be consequences, but you're already doing everything to them besides outright going to war, which you don't want to do. So now you're in a position where you have nothing over them because you're all terrible at your jobs.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, this is kind of very emblematic of the Biden administration right now, where there's no negotiations with anybody ever. It's just whatever you can do to look tough or to escalate, you do that. Like that is your first option is just escalate as much as you can. And you saw this with Russia. As soon as the uh, war broke out in Ukraine is that they just put the sanctions on to the max. So then, you know, you have nothing left to really negotiate with. And that's not saying that that's the right thing. I don't think it is, but like literally their the Biden policy is just once again, escalations everywhere at all times for all reasons.
1: Yeah. So there's a quote that Matt Tabey said um during the Canadian trucker protests of 2022, where he said that we went from during the Bush administration, um, you know, they had this uh reasonable or like at least intellectually defensible idea that we don't negotiate with terrorists. And because <laughs> of people like Carl Rove and stuff like that, they changed it to we don't negotiate with anyone. And that's, that's and you see this all the time. Like this is why I'm always in I end up using it in like a lot, a fair amount of articles. And so there's anyone they don't like, be it the refusal to, you know, debate with Robert Kennedy about vaccines or be it, you know, the trucker protests or dealing with Russia or anything else. There, it's like it just became we don't negotiate with terrorists, just became we don't negotiate. And they and they never get anywhere. Like, it's not like this is some sort of hardline strategy that is bearing a bunch of fruit and causing people to do what they say. It's mm-hmm. just alienating them from all sorts of people that they need to bring into some sort of consensus if they hope to accomplish anything and move forward in a productive fashion.
0: Yeah. So you brought up RFK there and over the last two weeks, I want to say I've lost a lot of my luster for him, but initially I was really, really happy because like, it's good that we have a lot of like this anti-war right coming up who may be bad on China, Mexico and Iran, but at least they're saying the right things about like the middle East and Ukraine and Russia. Um, RFK, is doing a similar thing for the left in respect that he's good on the Middle East, he's good on Russia-Ukraine, he's even good on China, which nobody is good on. Yeah. But then the problem is he's like after these last two weeks, he's gone like the Zionist Israeli oh, loving yeah, rampage. That, yeah. It's so sad
1: yeah. because, like, and they're not going to cite, vote for him.
0: Yeah, no, 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 God, no. The um, but like he has cited anti-war.com. No yeah. other presidential candidate has done that, that's pulling notably. And like, but you still get Israel and Palestine and Iran wrong. Like, how are you this good everywhere else? But just this one issue, you're you're off. I mean, he's awful.
1: <clears throat> he makes Ron
0: DeSantis blush at how much he's a freaking Zionist. Well,
1: yeah, I mean he's uh I don't know. So, I mean, obviously, like, uh, you know, Michael Tracy is kind of just a contrarian about everything by nature, but he did he did quite a lot of showing, you know, the things that RFK has just been awful about, despite that people, you know, like him because, you know, he says whichever, he has like a few things he's good on. So I never really saw why people were going so far, you know, to that side. The one thing I will say for RFK is that, you know, he, he was long skeptical of various aspects of the medical industry, has a lot of experience in that area. And, you know, he was a big climate change guy, which he still kind of is, but I I think that how COVID went genuinely woke him up to the fact that the government is, you know, that the big government people and corporations are trying to use climate change to do the same thing. So like, I I think he did actually have an awakening that the type of government policies that he supported for that, um, are going to be used the same way that they used COVID policies. And and so that, that I think is genuine, but overall um, I don't, I mean, I'm not really a fan of his Uh, what I just thought was so funny about the Hotez debate situation is that they were acting like he was some sort of ultra slick speaker and all this stuff. I was like, dude, have you heard the guy talk? Like for one thing, he's a weirdo, but he has like that terrible voice. It causes him to speak slowly you know, he, you're you're acting like he's some sort of super slick huckster that's ultra charismatic that everyone will will go in for, and that's not even true at all. Though I mean, I guess compared to Peter Hotez, he kind of is, but right. like regardless, I just thought that they. They make themselves look so bad when they try to take a principled anti-debating stance, especially with how much of a loss of public confidence they've had. And if RFK is a crackpot and Peter Hotez is a world-leading scientist, it should not be that damn hard for him to explain to people why he's correct.
0: Yeah, th- that part to me has always been so ridiculous. And... Um in the nutrition realm sometimes people will say i'm open to being wrong but they really aren't if you catch what i'm saying like they'll say oh yeah well present me the data and then you present them data and they don't change your mind um i don't know where rfk exactly falls on that when it comes to, like israel palestine i don't think he's going to change his mind i think he's no. hard line in that position when it comes to, like the vaccine stuff um I feel like he would be a little bit more intellectually honest and curious. Like if there was something that, you know, he would change his mind or something convincing, like some kind of data then I think he would change his mind on it. But like you said, the mainstream media, the government line, and all these, you know, experts in the uh, medical industrial complex, they're not willing to have a debate with him because they think he's off the reservation. Okay. Yeah. Well, if you can hold that opinion, but if he's so, if he's such a crackpot, debate them prove them wrong it shouldn't be that hard if what you say is true
1: well you know what really frustrates me i know this wasn't supposed to be our main topic or whatever is that they try to act like the um you know the the conventional vaccine and then the mrna whatever you want to call it for covid are like oh, it, it doesn't matter which one you get, they're the same. And it's like, those are not even the same kind of technology. <clears throat> like, you know, every vaccine is going to be like some somewhat different in terms of safety and efficacy, right. but those are not even remotely the same thing. It is inherently true that those would have different safety and efficacy. It couldn't, it couldn't possibly be the case that they did not, you know, cause they're 100% different things and any, any questioning just even saying like, oh, like I think you should get the conventional vaccine, but the MRNA ones aren't properly tested. Even that, you know, They think makes you a complete anti vaxxer because they don't want any sort of thought or discourse, no matter how reasonable it is. It's very frustrating.
0: Yeah, well, in throughout 2020, 2021 and 2022, this was a lot of the conversation where you were supposed to assume that everybody has the same blanket risk and that, you know, we're going to judge, you know, this specific treatments efficacy on how it affects positively the most affected group. But like, okay, well, what about people who got COVID and then overcame it? Someone like me, I was never vaccinated, but, you know, I had COVID twice. Um, my wife had it once and she lost her smell. Like the first time, her and I both had it. It was like, oh, we're like sick. <laughs> like this is the thing. And then we overcame it within like a week, right? The second time, actually, for me, which doesn't make any sense, but I mean, I was miserable. I mean, that was, was pretty damn sick for a couple of days. And I'm a pretty healthy guy, but you know, it was. It was rough regardless, but like, okay, so what's my case for getting vaccinated then at that point, especially when you look over all the data and you consider, okay, well, people within my age range, there's less than like, I think it was less than like 20 people in my state out of 8 million people who had COVID. Less than twenty of those people in my age group had died, and you know what? What could you assume from those people in the ages of like eighteen to I think it was like thirty two or something like that? They're they probably no. I mean, the they were with.
1: always like, "Oh, this this healthy young person died," and then they like show a picture, and the person's like four hundred pounds, and it's like, oh, they, <laughs> were also, they were also born with one lung and had diabetes, and you're like, just stop, please, just leave us alone.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're kind of seeing the reaction to that now, which uh, I, it, it's irritating, but I get it. Because now you're seeing people take the exact opposite stance of where, oh, well, if you even so much as smell this treatment, if you follow what I'm saying, then you're going to die tomorrow, right? Which like, okay, I get it because this is shoved down your throat so hard. You just want to stick it to the man. Okay, well, in my mind, I try to have integrity and say, okay, well, what's the actual date on this? Okay, so for younger people, there's a higher risk of myocarditis with people post-treatment than people post-COVID just is what it is so that means okay if you get covid you're probably gonna be okay probably don't get vaccinated right or you know whatever um but you know it's it's like you said earlier just contrarianism and i think it's because um you know one side had just pushed it so freaking far and now people are like all right well you know i no longer want a logical debate anymore i want blood and i think this is why like you don't see desantis as popular as trump because trump in everybody's mind that's the candidate who's going to get blood desantis doesn't represent that
1: yeah well you know i mean i guess what does it say about me refusing to get vaccinated you know even even the grinch was willing to get vaccinated that's why his heart grew three sizes in one day (laughs) (laughs) yeah fair enough
0: um, yeah, but like, like I said, the kind of Trump and DeSantis, I thought DeSantis was going to hit the ground running. And I was kind of scared at first because I'm like, this dude's like a neocon, like a George Bush neocon. It's so funny
1: because you'll hear people
0: say, oh, he he's not a neocon. He voted against invading Syria or something like that. Um, Cause he I'm said like, we
1: didn't have clear enough objectives. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But then he, he celebrated the bombing of Syria and voted for that. Right. But he's not a neocon because one vote, but like the other, you know, hundreds of whatever however many votes and bills that he sponsored those you know we can ignore those but this one vote is what makes him
1: okay so i i you know took a wait and see approach to this are you familiar with um justin Raymondo's theory that he called libertarian realism no so he basically had this idea that most foreign policy things that um Presidents get involved in are a response to their own domestic problems, such as Hillary Clinton getting billed to bomb Kosovo and, you know, to deal with their uh, marital problems and stuff like that. So that basically things aren't things aren't going well at home. So you gin up some foreign conflict and then everyone's distracted. So my hope was that since DeSantis is actually a competent governor and doesn't seem to have any weird right. personal sexual problems, etc., that he wouldn't, um, you know, have any reason to want to get bogged down in any foreign bullshit like that. So I was going to at least wait to see what kind of platform he put out. Cause often it is quite a bit different being like a congressman who's relatively new and is just voting the way that the whole party's voting and stuff like that. And then, you know, you're, get more experienced, you become the one in the leadership position. So I, I was willing to give him the benefit of the doubt until he started actually, you know, to wait until he was laying out his foreign policy positions, which he then did. And they're terrible. So I mean, he got an F rating on my article.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, one of his advisors, I think, is Elbridge Colby, who's like a major China hawk. And if I remember correctly, he's also consulting with uh, Gordon Chang. I-, I may be mistaken yeah, on there that. Was a,
1: I had it in my, I had it linked in my article that he had a group of advisors that were known as China hawks. And one of them said, mm-hmm. "Ronda Santis understands that Taiwan is our unsinkable aircraft carrier in the Pacific." And I was like, "Dude, twenty-two million people live there. Like, you, you can't treat their island like, oh, this is great. it can be." bombed an infinite amount and it won't go down. This is awesome for Taiwan, you know. It's terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um
0: but you were uh, talking about Vivek swami earlier. Um what I like about him is that he's like competent and seems like he has plans. But like he's so bad on China and Mexico. But like yeah. when it comes to the other stuff, he seems a little bit more diplomatic and like he's thought things out. But then also you kind of dig up in his past. He was saying, uh, you know, Trump is awful for all this stuff on January sixth, and oh, uh, credit to Biden for getting the vaccine out the market. Yeah. Like he's a little bit of a snake do you, too. Do but you know about the history really well.
1: of do you know about the history of his like what his company is? No. Okay, so it's called it's called Roy Vaughn. So I first want to say he seems kind of litigious. So this is just my understanding of it. And I'm not accusing him of, of anything or what have you. But um, his company, basically what it does is it kind of scavenges up medical patents that aren't being used. And then it tries to test and market things, which, you know, in and of itself, that sounds kind of like a smart venture capital idea, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So he founded it in 2013, it has, as far as I know, has never been profitable. It has never brought a single product to market. And he has made half a billion dollars off of this, partially sold this company that has never made any money, never marketed anything. Last year, the last year I had statistics for, it had $30 million in income and $930 million in expenses. And he somehow made half a billion dollars doing this. So I have a feeling, once again, a feeling that he may be like the next Sam Bankman fried and Elizabeth Holmes or something. It just hasn't came crashing down yet, but I'm, I'm not a finance guy at the very least. He's very much a financial industry, chopping up businesses and moving parts around sort of investor that, uh, I don't necessarily know if he, he contributes anything. And you can see it, too, because he's like a slick guy. So it's easy to imagine him making this sound good in a meeting with an investor. Anyway, I'm absolutely not accusing him of any wrongdoing. I, I probably just don't understand how his business works. But to me, that all seems <laughs> very sketchy
0: yeah wow well, yeah it's kind of funny because most people will say oh well, the sam bankman freed was only unique to democrats it's a big old democrat money
1: laundering scheme but like who
0: that's 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 some snake oil well, shit right well, no, i mean sam
1: bankman freed was specifically might have been one of the driving forces behind all the COVID insanity happening because he was really throwing money around i wrote about that in november as well like he was throwing money around like crazy but we're so i don't know so much that Ramaswamy has been using it to buy a ton of influence besides that. He's now, um, you know, running for president on the reputation of like, Oh, I'm an entrepreneur who makes stuff work. Mm-hmm. But regardless, that, that doesn't sound like a real business to me. Like, could you, could you explain to your grandma how that business is useful to society and produces <laughs> revenue? Cause that's, it's you, you should usually be able to if a business is honest.
0: Yeah. Well, f- from what I'm kind of gathering here, it's not sounding very honest at all. Um, so I, I know you said you kind of had a, I don't want to say a time crunch, but I, that your wife's oh, been fine. End. As
1: long as you don't get upset, if my kid comes through and makes a bit of noise, um, we can go for a while longer. It's fine.
0: No, well, you know what? My, uh, <laughs> I think my wife just got home and it's her birthday tonight. So I think her and I are going oh, to really? uh, chill for a few minutes. Um, dude, we will definitely mm-hmm. do this again. I actually really enjoyed this chat. I think okay. you're a wealth of knowledge. Um, go ahead plug away and we will definitely do this again sometime.
1: Okay. So, um, just my website is the waywardrabbler.com. That's um, Rabbler, like you know, in South Park when the public gets mad and says rabble, rabble. A lot of people think it's like Rambler with an M, mm-hmm. so it's the waywardrabbler to oh, be with two B's.com. And then I'm on Twitter just at waywardrabbler, or um, I mean, you can find it on Kyle's page as well because he'll be sharing this with the link and everything like that um and yeah my my podcast is uh just talks about the articles that i've written in the free part of it and then there's a subscriber only part after that where we update on other articles and talk about some news stories and things like that um so that yeah that is mostly it
0: cool brad well like i said i really appreciate your time um love to have you back on anytime you want to come back on and we'll discuss some more matters maybe we'll do some uh, round tables and i'll have to include you with some of you guys from antiwar.com i think it'd be a real cool discussion
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, absolutely. Let
0: me know. All right, guys. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening and checking out. And until next time, take care.
1: All right. Thank you. Good night.
0: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving.